0: Hi, MIT Catalyst listeners. Producer Irina here. Julia and I are planning Season 2 of our podcast, and we're very excited to introduce you to many more Catalysts. In the meantime, we thought we'd do a quick update on the frontline special series we did in Season 1. The coronavirus pandemic is, unfortunately, still very real. With cases rising and shelter-in-place orders taking effect across the country, the current situation feels eerily reminiscent of the late spring. In May, Julia hosted an MIT Club of Northern California event with MIT alum Dr. Sun Yu, who told the club via webinar about her experience working on the front lines at UCLA Health. In today's bonus episode, Julia catches up with Sun about pandemic misinformation, feeling hopeful about vaccines, and celebrating the holidays safely. And this last point, it's a personal matter for Julia and Sun, because they're not just podcast hosts and guests, they're also sisters. I'll let Julia take it from here.
1: We are here to hear how our front lines are doing. We are joined by our very own alumni, Dr. Sun Mi Yu, MIT class of 2007. She is a medical director at UCLA and involved with the COVID response at UCLA. So uh, thank you so much for being here today, Dr. Sun. Can you tell us a little bit more about your role at UCLA? Can you speak to the involvement you've had in COVID response?
2: Sure, thanks for having me here, Julia. So I started and oversee our COVID ambulatory monitoring program at UCLA, where we have a group of doctors, nurses, and staff focused on the care of COVID patients being treated in the ambulatory setting. This means patients that are being treated outside of the hospital, whether they're being treated in the clinic, via telehealth, or after hospital discharge, where we follow them until their symptoms resolve. We do remote monitoring, including oxygen saturations and daily symptom surveys of our patients, and we make an assessment of whether or not the patient may need to go to the hospital or seek further treatment. We started our program in April of this year and have monitored over 400 patients, and now we're also following them at day 30, 60, and 90 days after diagnosis to really follow their symptoms to ensure they're getting better.
1: What have been some of your biggest surprises following these 400 patients you've treated?
2: Uh, I would say some of the things that have been surprising is how persistent some of the symptoms can be. There is a group that will get the symptoms uh, and improve over the 7 to 10 days or up to 14 days, but there also is a group of patients that have persistence of symptoms, whether it's shortness of breath, headaches, intermittent fevers. And some of these patients are ones that were completely healthy before as well. So there's a lot of um, different health systems looking at this and looking at uh, post COVID syndrome for patients that have such profound symptoms that last for a long time.
1: And these patients are called long haulers, correct? Uh, There's different names
2: that people may refer to what you said is maybe one and also like post COVID syndrome is something that people are talking about, but there isn't uh, a definition
1: or one term that really describes these patients. It seems like we're learning more and more, and there's still so many things that are still surprising us about this virus. So unfortunately, the country is hitting all-time records day after day. We are eight months in and counting into this pandemic. What is your sentiment now, and how are frontline healthcare workers coping
2: uh, that's a great question. So, you know, as we find ourselves in another surge and anticipate that the next one to two months will be very difficult, uh, I would say that healthcare workers are resilient, but they're also tired. Some haven't seen their families since the pandemic started. Many are coordinating remote schooling for their children at home while balancing full time careers as clinicians or research scientists. Uh, That being said, I would say people have been resilient and have been very supportive of each other. I think part of this is that, you know, many go into healthcare for a reason and part of what we're doing is treating patients, but also really working hard to combat some of the misinformation that our patients may be getting. And You know, making sure that we're able to get through to our patients and support our patients as much as possible. Uh, I would say, in terms of coping wise, uh, part of it is through the patients that we're able to help, as well as really being there for each other and knowing that we're going to get through this and we just need to be vigilant for a bit longer.
1: Speaking of vigilance, there is clearly pandemic fatigue, not only in this country, but around the world right now. There's also misinformation. There's confusion out there about everything from testing to masks and protocols. What is your advice to us, given the information that you have at this moment?
2: Yeah, so I would say pandemic fatigue is real, and it's at its height right now. And one thing I would just say is to really follow the facts and data. The data are clear that basic public health measures, such as masking and physical distancing, Avoiding gatherings or congregate settings really does help to curb transmission of this virus. After exposure, it can take up to 14 days for someone to uh, to have symptoms. And even in the time that they don't have any symptoms, whether they're asymptomatic or pre-symptomatic, they can spread the virus to others. So I would say you always look at the numbers and look at the facts and the data. We have more than 180,000 a day right now being diagnosed and hospitals are at capacity We have patients that are being medevaced to hospitals in other states. In certain, this is more in the certain upper Midwest states. And also in those same states, there are some hospitals where they have COVID-positive healthcare workers that continue to work in the COVID wings. So as hospitalizations go up, deaths will follow. And we just need to really stay vigilant and look at the numbers, look at the facts and data, because we're gonna continue to get a lot of information And some of it, unfortunately, has become partisan or, you know, whatever uh, reasons that it's out there. I think it's important for people to really just look at the data.
1: Speaking of data, could you just debunk for us some of the confusion around mask wearing?
2: Yes. So in terms of mask wearing and confusion, we know that this virus is spread through respiratory droplets. And in some cases where there is poor ventilation, that can even be airborne. So we know that a way to curb that is by wearing masks and everyone has to be wearing the masks. It can't just be selectively um, taken up. So I think that's a piece that we really, we know how the virus spreads and we know how we acquire and transmit the virus. So we just need to follow the basic sciences and basic public measures to continue to wear the masks.
1: Now, what have you learned from this arduous experience thus far as a doctor? Is this what you thought you'd be signing up for? Uh, n- not exactly this, but no,
2: I-, I did learn that we need to adapt to new data and information and be ready as providers and health systems and flexible as we get more information and data. Preparation is everything. And in terms of what I was signing up for, yeah, this is absolutely what I knew I was signing up for in terms of, you know, not just be not just taking care of patients on the front lines, but also being able to share our experiences and support the science that should be driving our strategy to curb this pandemic.
1: That is very inspiring. Do you have any comments or reasons to be cautiously optimistic around the vaccine? Yeah, uh, we should
2: absolutely be optimistic. There is, uh, as you may know, there's a data and safety monitoring board that's made up of experts that review the safety and efficacy of the vaccines and they really do this under one umbrella and uh, you know they are getting together and we should have more information in december and pfizer just released the preliminary data about their vaccine that has a very high degree of efficacy you know over 90% close to 95% so if the predictions are correct hopefully by q1 of 2021 There will be a start to distribution and really over one and two uh, and an expected graduated return to normality. I imagine it's over the whole year that people may be getting vaccinated and hopefully in terms of opening up, uh, we do have, Some places open, like even movie theaters and other places, but not at capacity. And also, you know, taking the basic, you know, continuing with the basic public health measures of masking and physical distancing. So, yeah, I think there is a lot to be optimistic about. People have sacrificed a lot until now. And I would say even with fatigue, people need
1: to just continue to be vigilant. We're almost there. Thank you for that. Now, CDC is projecting record deaths by December. Do you feel like this is inevitable or do you feel like there are things that we could do now to slow this thing down? Yeah,
2: so uh, there's absolutely things that we can do now to slow this down. By December, there probably will be an increase in hospitalizations and deaths, but we need to do, everyone just needs to do their parts in terms of trying to curb Uh, curb this spread. And I know with holidays coming up, you know, people are very excited to see family and that's very understandable, but we really do have to try to avoid social gatherings as much as possible. And if we need to see each other, it's in small groups, everyone should be masked, it should ideally be outdoors. Um, I'd say, you know, I miss my family right now, but I know that the holidays this year will be by Zoom for us. so I think it's just really remembering as we enter the holidays the importance of protecting each other, and and really thinking about the greater good of the public when we're approaching uh, how we gather and if we gather at all.
1: We have a president elect who has formed a transition COVID nineteen advisory board. Do you have any thoughts on this board and any opinions or reasons to be optimistic?
2: Yeah, uh, they are some brilliant people in terms of who he's recruited to that team. We have uh, Vivek Murthy, who was our former Surgeon General, as well as Atul Gawande, uh, who's one of the thought leaders in our field in healthcare and public health, as well as many others like David Kessler, the co-chair and former FDA commissioner, as well as many other members that um, have served in public health roles and leadership roles in their systems as well as communities. So I have a lot of faith in this diverse team that he's put together and they'll be able to come up with a plan to really get us out of this
1: pandemic. That's great to hear. I want to switch gears a little bit and go back to your time at MIT. How do you think MIT has helped you prepare for this moment in time? I think part of that is at MIT, you really learn to become a problem
2: solver. This is something, you know, there isn't a playbook in terms of how we should be responding to this pandemic, what should be we, we should be doing in our local systems, how we should be creating up programs to take care of patients outside the hospital, for example. So I, I think it's it's important to be able to think outside the box and be able to come up with ways to combat this virus and really take the best care of our patients with the limitations that we have. So I would say, you know, as I said in our last podcast, there's not one test at MIT that I went into that I felt like, hmm, I was taught exactly that, but it was rather an application of the things that we learned. So really, the the pandemic has really felt like the same where I've been applying the different principles that I've learned from medical school as well as from public health school and being able to be flexible and adapt with new information as it
1: comes in. You're certainly building the airplane while you fly it. Yes, that that is a good analogy. Yes. Do you have a personal favorite source of news that you keep up with to get your latest information on coronavirus?
2: Yeah. So there's a few different sites. Um, one is you can look at the the tracker on New York Times in terms of where the hot spots are. That's one place. Uh, Johns Hopkins has a very nice tracker as well that you can monitor. Uh, And then also the CDC website. I know there's been some controversy of things that have been there, or been up there a little early, but that is still a great site to continue to get updated information. So um, those are some of the sites. There are many others out there, but those are some of the sites that I look at.
1: All right. Any parting words to leave our listeners with today?
2: Yeah, so I would say, you know, with the holidays coming up, that you know, hoping that everyone will continue the efforts of being able to physically distance, continue masking, and just remembering to stay as safe as possible. Other things are, you know, for those that haven't connected with their healthcare providers or doctors. It's important if there's, especially if there's a telehealth option for you to be able to connect with your doctors. It's important to not fall behind in regular cancer screenings. If you have chronic health conditions, this is a time to really get on top of those as well. COVID is everywhere in the news and in our lives, but we have to remember there are other diseases too, and we can't fall behind in really tending to those diseases as well. And the last piece is just remembering to care for yourself during this time. Physical and mental health is important. And it's important for you to be able to go outside, take outdoor walks, get a home stationary bike if it's possible, try meditation apps and stay connected, even uh, you know, really virtually with your loved ones as well. And just that we're almost there. It felt like forever, I would say. Each day feels like a month right now, but hang in there and we're almost there. And thanks for having me, Julia. And I look forward to seeing you
1: on Zoom Thanksgiving. Thank you so much, Son. Likewise, uh, flipping your advice to us, we want to say how much we're thinking of you and rooting for you and reminding you to also have some self-care during this time because uh, your health is our health. Thank you so much. I appreciate you having me on and for those kind words. Take care.
0: Thank you for listening to this bonus episode of MIT Catalysts. We're looking forward to highlighting even more MIT Community Catalysts in our upcoming season. Until then, we hope you and your loved ones are staying healthy and well. Take care.